Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Good morning. Today is the day. This is the second hour of Mornings with Carmen on this Tuesday, October the 1st, 2019. We talked yesterday with uh, David Aikman about uh, this 70th anniversary of the communist, I don't know if the word is takeover, implementation of communist rule. I think it's probably the right language here. Uh, 70th anniversary of the implementation of communist rule in China. Uh, it actually, you know, because because the day starts much earlier in China than it starts here. Um, so I don't know, as you and I were watching the evening news last night, it was the morning of this 70th anniversary in China. And so we're already now into, uh, you know, into the early evening hours in Hong Kong. And so the protests um, have erupted again. They are violent. Uh, we need to be praying and we need to be certainly reaching out in enthusiastic support of our Christian brothers and sisters in Hong Kong. Um, let's be mindful of the worldview difference that exists between the people of Hong Kong and the people of China. And let's also acknowledge that um, that wars have consequences. And and so, you know, a war fought uh, at the end of the 1800s is now working itself out in the consequences of the lives of people today. And so let's be mindful of that. All right. Uh, next up, Ann Polk from the Restored Hope Network. Ann and I uh, are going to talk about some some news related to an individual who came out of uh, the same sex uh, life and um, embraced r- repentance in Jesus Christ, started a ministry to others who desired to um, to live in the freedom freedom from their same-sex attraction, and then he repented of his repentance. So we're going to talk about that, and then we're going to offer up some resources at the Restored Hope Network. So that's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. So I'm talking again today with Ann Polk. Uh, we have her, had her on uh, on prior occasions. She is from the Restored Hope Network. You can find the Restored Hope Network online at RestoredHopeNetwork.org. Ann, welcome back. Thank you, Carmen. What a pleasure to be with you. Well, it's wonderful to have you. Remind, uh, remind our listeners um, what they will find if they come to the Restored Hope Network. Well, you'll find a discipleship Christian uh, network of ministries that help people who want to leave homosexuality, who actually are finding themselves having unwanted same-sex attraction, and they want support for living in agreement with their faith. That's what you'll find. 
and a network of ministries doing that all across the U.S., 50 different uh, associates. It's an extraordinary network of ministries uh, nationwide. And, um, you know, I've called on you when folks have reached out individually uh, or I have encountered individuals in my own, you know, spheres of influence who are struggling with this or have a family member struggling with this. And you have been so gracious to put those people directly in touch with their local network and a ministry that really does fit who they are and where they live and what they're dealing with. So um, so thank you for the way the Restored Hope Network actually does work. And it's not just well, a it's net. Our pleasure. It's, it's a working network. So I appreciate that. Okay, so recently, I mean, one of the reasons you and I are talking today is because recently I read uh, an article that a person described as, and I'm going to read the headline so that folks, if folks wanted to find it, they could. It's uh, it's an article that was posted at the Washington Post, and the article uh, headline is Conversion Therapy Center Founder Who Sought to Turn LGBTQ Christians Straight Says He's Gay and Rejects, quote, Cycle of Self-Shame. So we could spend a lot of time just on the headline, but um, but let's dig into the substance of this uh, of this I don't know revelation uh, return of a of an individual to um, a life of acknowledged sin instead of continuing to seek to live uh, a life that is aligned with God's will. I mean that's essentially how I would see this. So the person's name is McCray Game. Um, and he founded Hope for Wholeness Network. Tell us, um, tell us what you know about this story, and walk us around in uh, the issues that it raises for you. Well, McRae uh, founded his network based upon he he called it after his own curriculum name. It was a an unfinished DVD series called Hope for Wholeness, um, and he did that when Alan Chambers stepped off of the podium and said, "I'm closing Exodus." at the opening day of Exodus International 2013, he stepped off the stage, said, I'm closing it on the opening statement. I don't think he talked about refunding all the money to different people and what sadness that was that they spent their vacation time coming there. He didn't think about any of those things. But McRae asked him, so what are you going to do with the people who don't want to embrace homosexuality? And at that point, Ellen Chambers said, well, you can help them. Uh, We had been founded as a network one year prior, and the reason why we did that is because we saw theological and missional errors happening that were significant and were repeated, addressing that to the board of directors of Exodus, and they simply dismissed that. So we picked up the mantle that God had given Exodus in the beginning, which is to help people walk in accord with their faith, and kept going. And most of the founding organizations of Exodus joined us, which is, you know, there were 38, 40-year-old ministries. So they've, they've been doing this for a long time. McRae started his group. He probably it grew to about 11 different ministries or affiliates. And that's not bad. Um, but he continually struggled with same-sex attraction without being honest about that struggle. Meanwhile, he wrote a book called The Transparent Life, which is fascinating, really. It's a self-contradiction in terms. So there were issues there already. His board tried very hard, and they're friends of mine, actually, to address the issues that were problematic. And he simply didn't follow through with the admonition and correction that his own board gave him. So they ended up firing him. And that was two years ago. Meanwhile, of course, his his life didn't stop there. It continued. 
and his progress um, went backwards in the sense of he he came to the point of saying he was wrong to found Hope for Wholeness, which that's his own judgment on his own move. But he was just seeking to support people who wanted to leave homosexuality through their own stories, not through a conversion therapy, not through therapy at all. And uh, freedom from homosexuality through Jesus Christ might have been his slogan, but uh, freedom from, what do you mean by homosexuality? Temptation, acting, identity, it's not clear, right? So to say he was wrong to tell people they were doomed for all eternity if they didn't change their ways, well, you know, of course we don't shame people and, and say, hey, you're going to hell, turn or burn. That's ridiculous. It doesn't win anybody to the love of Jesus Christ, which actually changes lives. But the truth of the matter is, in Scripture, it does have some pretty profound warnings. And so if people open the Word of God and read 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11, you'll find a really, really strong warning for people who are actively engaged in sin of all different kinds, including homosexuality. And then a very, very hopeful verse, verse 11, such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified and you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. And so he essentially dismissed all of that with his statement, which I find to be rather sad. So it's his faith that declined to match his own struggles and behaviors, as opposed to strengthening him to walk appropriately, even given his continued struggles. And he should have been honest with that. Um, and also not led a network of helping people leave it if he's uh, he's falling in the midst of his uh, struggle. So that, I think, is was inappropriate. It's con- self-contradictory again. And so there are multiple different issues going on here. Okay, so Ann Polk and I are going to continue this conversation in just a moment. Ann is the director of Restored Hope Network. You can find it at restoredhopenetwork.org. Um, we are talking about a range of concerns today related to um, homosexuality and and Christians. And so that intersection, that conversation is an important one for each one of us to be equipped to have. And there are a number of headlines related to it. Uh, again, this conversation will continue in just a moment. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Continuing my conversation now with Ann Polk from the Restored Hope Network. You can find them online at restoredhopenetwork.org. So, Ann, to um, to bring our conversation specifically about uh, this individual, McCray Game, uh, to a conclusion, can you just address the the one thing that he says um, in in his I guess revelation is, is, is this is a conversation about, you know, he doesn't want to deny himself. He's he's no longer wants to deny his authentic self. Um, and yet when I read that, what leaps like what leaps out at me is that as Christians, that is exactly what we do. We die to self. We deny self in order that we might live as Christ, in order that we might live a life that is fully aligned in every way, rightly aligned, rightly ordered um, uh, you know, in relationship with God and as an expression of a redeemed life in the world. Like we get to live as a living demonstration of what a broken person made whole actually looks like, not a person just reveling in their own brokenness. 
Exactly. And that's where he ended up, uh, unfortunately, after not adequately addressing the issues in his own life. Um, so in, instead, he condemns the one who cl- called for us to pick up our cross daily and follow him, and that it's no longer me who lives, but Christ in me. And so the beautiful verse is about um, if you're walking in sin, you need to um, die in order to live. And that's the contradiction of the Christian faith, right? We, we're all called to surrender what is in opposition to God's will in our lives. And he makes it rather clear in scripture what that is, uh, including flee sexual immorality. I mean, that's really clear in 1 Corinthians and everywhere else, including the story of uh, Joseph running from Potiphar's wife, essentially mm. flee temptation. Uh, these things are not inconsequential. And so what McRae is saying is that fleeing or carrying the cross or picking up your cross daily and following Jesus is not what he wants to do anymore. Mm. And he's going to condemn it really sad. Yeah. And he's going to condemn anyone else who's helping others do the same uh, by calling it using the very phrasing that he condemned and never accepted. Conversion therapy is meant to be a phrase that demeans anyone who's helping somebody with their own goal of not embracing homosexuality. The world honestly doesn't understand that. I get it. But you know what? It is it is a real thing. People's lives are impacted by this daily in different ways. And um, if the church uh, should forsake following Jesus, picking up your cross and denying yourself and following him daily, we've got a real problem. Well, um, or denying... Or the church <clears throat> denying the power of real change. I think part of what concerns me... Um, When I, you know, kind of look around at how Christians are approaching these conversations today, there is a little bit of a live and let live. Oh, you know, everybody is sexually immoral. Everybody has sexual immorality issues. This is just one particular expression of it. It's no worse than anything else. And we need to just let people live in in these relationships, in uh, in this what is clearly biblical sin. I mean, defined biblically as sin. And we we just need to, um, you know, move on from that. And as if real change is not possible. Talk about talk about how we give up the power of the gospel when we say to someone real change is not possible. Right. I mean, the whole idea is um, we're called to repent or turn away from sin, change our minds about how we live, et cetera. I mean, those are the concepts that are basic to the actual gospel, when Zacchaeus met Jesus, Jesus may not have called out all his sin. He was very aware of what it was. Um, Zacchaeus was too, but Zacchaeus's response was a response of salvation, wasn't it? Jesus declared, Jesus, I will give back four times what I took mm. from people. Uh, there's this response that is authentic repentance that we are forgetting, maybe intentionally forgetting. But the response is, I no longer live, but you and me, Jesus, help me live in accord with what you've commanded. And the way of repentance is such a deeply significant aspect to uh, Christianity. Um, In fact, that's one of the commands at the end of the Gospels, you know, teaching people to uh, the way of repentance, 
the way of turning away from sin and walking in Jesus' ways. I can't find the scripture right now, and I didn't mm. have it prepared. So well, that's okay. your pardon. No, no, but, I'd love for that you. Is, that is part of the Great Commission. Yeah. Actually. And again, let me remind people, I'm talking with Ann Polk. She's the director of the Restored Hope Network. You can find them online at restoredhopenetwork.org. If you or someone uh, in your family has unwanted same-sex attraction, this is the ministry that's a network of ministries across the country um, where you can find help and real healing and just affectionate discipleship is the way I would describe it. So, right. um, and exactly I'd love for you to right. respond. So I'm, I'm also reading headlines, uh, you know, kind of across a range here um, related to uh, there is no gay gene. Like I'll just summarize all of the headlines in that way. Like we've got sure. massive numbers of people now who have put their DNA into these DNA databases and come to find out there is no gay gene. Um, how do you respond or react or use that information? Well, true. There is no gay gene. I've been saying that for decades. It's hard to prove because it's not found anywhere. Science doesn't conclude that. In fact, the APA, the American Psychological Association, removed, uh, they, they send now that it's possible that there's a biological or genetic component, but they don't mention that people are born gay anymore. That was removed in 2009. All their materials from now on say, well, it's a complex interaction of multifaceted factors, which I would have to agree with. <laughs> you know, right, it is right. A, human sexuality is a very complex uh, matter. It's not something that's simple, other than we are called to, as Christians, surrender to what God defined as good and where he set the fire of sexuality within the bounds of male-female relationship um, in marriage. And that is a beautiful thing. But uh, anything beyond that, unfortunately, detracts from God's intent for humankind. Um, and that's been the through the ages. In fact, of course, Jesus is called the the bridegroom, and we as the church are called the bride. There's imagery throughout scripture that uses that picture. So uh, the genome study proves what I had long suspected without, with a dearth of any information proving a gay gene, and yet the claims from the 1990s were gay gene found. I mean, it was on, I don't remember if it was on Time or Newsweek, but there were headlines in big magazines uh, proving that there's a genetic component when they didn't have the goods. Mm. And so finally, here we go. And the researchers from MIT and Harvard. And uh, so anyway, you can read that study as well. It's online and a whole bunch of reviews about it. All right. And you and I are probably going to have to leave our conversation right here today. But this is one we just going to continue to circle back around to. We want to keep uh, the Ministry of the Restored Hope Network in front of folks so that they know where to turn um, when they need help and when they need answers to questions and when they need um, access to the network of ministries that provides that provide what you guys provide. Um, so again, it's RestoredHopeNetwork.org. And Paul, thank you so much for being with us again today on Mornings with Carmen. Thank you, Carmen. What a delight. Likewise. All right, friends, we'll be right back. So uh, we're going to we're going to talk here in the next portion of the program about the God impulse, the power of mercy in an unmerciful world. I'm wondering if um, you experience a lot of mercy in your relationships today. I'm wondering if um, there are some relationships in which you know 
you need to be showing mercy, but, um, you know, frankly, you've been swimming so long in the waters of an unmerciful world that um, you've gotten pretty good at suppressing the God impulse. And instead of treating people with the full dignity of their humanity, um, you've taken to responding to people in much the same way the world does, um, which is pretty much to just smack people down uh, at our first opportunity. So we're going to talk with Jack Alexander about the God impulse, the power of mercy in an unmerciful world, up next here on Mornings with Carmen. According to a recent study, close to 60% of our kids quit going to church after age 15. Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. So what's the reason behind this mass exodus? Well, I'm sad to hear that many teens see the church as judgmental and irrelevant. To many, the church looks like an elite country club, and those who don't fit the mold are denied acceptance. Furthermore, kids who struggle often feel alienated and left with a deep sense of shame. Of course, we know these views are skewed. But before we rush to judgment, let's make sure we have an open conversation with our teens about the value of the church. Together, as adults, let's make sure that the church remains a safe place for kids to find acceptance, forgiveness, and love. Want more help from Mark Gregston? Check out his latest resources online at parentingtodaysteens.org. Jack Alexander. Uh, Jack is a businessman, an entrepreneur, a student of theology. Uh, he is the chairman of the Reimagine Group. He's got a wealth of experiences across a variety of businesses. And he uh, has a book that I, uh, I find particularly timely. It's called The God Impulse, The Power of Mercy in an Unmerciful World. The God Impulse. Uh, Jack, welcome back. Good morning, Carmen. Great to be with you. So the last time we talked, you were actually uh, in a kayak in northeast Georgia, and we were trying. Right. <laughs> so this seems um, this seems a more reasonable uh, a more reasonable setting in, in which uh, we can unpack the God impulse. And I think that this uh, you're my the only moment kayak in time interview ever, Carmen. <laughs> See, I think that should be added to your bio. Only kayak right. interview ever. Um, ever. Okay. So, Jack, um, I find the God impulse particularly timely right now. I feel like our public discourse is about as unmerciful as it could possibly be. I feel like people are weaponizing what they view as the truth. It's not always uh, the full truth, and it's certainly not the truth delivered with mercy. Can you can you talk about the relationship between truth and mercy as our starting point yes. for the conversation? Thanks. Yeah, well, incivility and divisiveness is with us every day. And I think we all sort of just hate to pick up the newspaper or go on the Internet. And it's it's everywhere. And what really struck me is verses like Psalm 2510 that says, all the ways of the Lord are mercy and truth. And then in Psalm 8510, God actually gives us the answer to righteousness and peace. He says, when mercy and truth meet, righteousness and peace kiss. So who doesn't want righteousness in our society and our relationships? And I believe there's this huge spiritual battle, Carmen, 
that conservatives have an appropriate high view of truth, a lower view of mercy. Liberals have a high view of mercy, a lower view of truth. And they end up fighting because Satan doesn't want truth and mercy to meet. Mm, Because he doesn't want righteousness in us or in our culture. Absolutely not. And so it's a, it's a huge spiritual battle. So integrating, so if you look at immigration, if you look at abortion, if you look at any of the hot issues, there's a lens of truth and there's a lens of mercy. And if we just stay on the extremes, you know, we're not going to meet. And to me, that's the challenge for the church today, that we've lost mercy. And if you look at the Good Samaritan, you know, the, the expert in the law who Jesus was talking about, Jesus said, which one was the neighbor? And he said, the one who showed mercy. So mercy governed the Samaritan seeing his enemy, going to him, doing a bunch of stuff for him, saying, I'm going to come back when I return. So this concept of mercy, I think, is governs our relationships. If they're to govern our relationships with our enemies, certainly it should govern our relationships with our friends. And I think that uh, my my investigation of this started with a 1,210-page book called Systematic Theology that had one paragraph on mercy. So I just I felt like there was an imbalance. Uh, so I hired Barna, and Carmen Barna found that 83% of Christians do not feel like it's their personal responsibility to show mercy. So in my book, I call it the outsourcing of compassion. So I hire somebody to my, mow my grass, do my taxes, and care for other people. I wrote that down um, because I, I feel like um, every time we attempt to have this conversation, people who view themselves as theologically conservative, um, they, they tune out. They, they shut down. They would prefer to continue in, um, in the well-worn rut of, of self-righteousness um, instead of acknowledging that it is possible that there is an even higher road than the one that they are currently walking. And, that, um, and that mercy is an essential part. Uh, we cannot communicate the gospel in non-gospel ways. Uh, we cannot represent Jesus Christ to the world um, with only uh, words of truth. We must also do so with not only acts of mercy, but relationships that are merciful. Well, people ask me, what is mercy? What's a simple definition? And I say an engaged heart. So if, you're, if you go to lunch with someone and you're sitting with them for two minutes, you'll be able to tell whether their heart's engaged. You can find that very, very quickly in any relationship. And I think that the busyness of our world, the, the, the connectivity everywhere, um, causes people to not have their hearts engaged, and, and then they outsource it. Do you know that the number of nonprofits in our country has doubled from 800,000 to 1.6 million in the last 20 years, and it's 10% of our economy. So this, I think that some things like IJM, there's some incredible nonprofits who do things that nobody else could do. But when we say basically we're going to outsource caring for others to, to nonprofits exclusively, I think then we've got a real problem. Well, we've given up, um, we have given up part of who we are called to be as, as the collectively the, the representatives of Christ in the world. I mean, it is intended to be incarnational. 
Um, it is intended to be life on life. It is intended to be uh, each of us and all of us deployed by Christ into the world that he so loves, uh, representing not only the truth of, he, of, who, uh, of who he is and what he has done on our behalf, um, but, but the truth of what God's character is, this, this deep desire uh, to be restored in a loving relationship and eternal fellowship with his people. Like it's, yeah, I just think that we sometimes forget that. So you help us reconnect those dots in the God impulse. The book is The God Impulse, The Power of Mercy in an Unmerciful World. The author is Jack Alexander. Um, Jack, talk about the ripple effect of mercy. Yeah, well, I think there's a huge payoff. You know, Jesus said, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. So I refer to mercy as non-financial sowing and reaping. When we go to church and we hear about sowing and reaping, it seems always to be about money. And yet I think about a young man and his brother who who uh, I led their father to Christ, and he committed suicide Uh like three months later, and I've mentored them for the last 19 years. I've put them each through college. And the depth of relationship I have with these kids, and for example, one of them's in Dallas, and he got offered a, a big job, and he, he, he couldn't take it because he already had a great job. He calls up my son, and I've got this company in, in Texas flying my son out to Texas. They end up hiring him as CFO of this company when he was 36. And I'm saying, how did that happen? And it started with me ministering to their father and then having this dear relationship with him. And my son ends up in Texas with this job. And I say, like, how did that happen? I think that we sow seeds when we're merciful and we have no idea what's going to come up. If you don't like the harvest of unrighteousness in the culture, we are encouraging you today to not only sow peace, but sow mercy. My conversation partner is Jack Alexander. The book is The God Impulse, The Power of Mercy in an Unmerciful World. We'll be right back. Be strong in the Lord and never give up hope. You're going to do great things. I already know. God's got his hand. Has got his hand on you. He is up to good in the world today, and he intends to do it through you uh, and through me. Jack Alexander is my conversation partner. He has written a book called The God Impulse, The Power of Mercy in an Unmerciful World. There is great research done by Barna that underlies um, this uh, this conversation about how we as Christians are, are going to submit ourselves to the dynamic power of mercy in our own lives, and then how we are going to show mercy to others, that we would be people who walk in the way of the Lord and not just operate in the ways of the world. The ways of the world are um, just observably unmerciful, and we as Christians are people who are called to show mercy. So, Jack, let's talk a little bit about our emotional impulses versus the God impulse. It takes a while to cultivate a God impulse, am I right? I think that's correct, Carmen. So when we talk about emotional impulses, my emotional impulses are going to lead me potentially to say and do things that are not only contrary to God's uh, God's character, um, but certainly co- contrary to the mercy he would have me show someone else. So can you can you talk about how how to resist our emotional impulses in order that we can um, walk long enough with another person to actually show them mercy? 
Well, I think sometimes we're afraid to get involved in new relationships, certainly with someone who is very needy. Uh, we're very, very busy. And that's why, for me, I've seen this sort of the adventure of the Samaritan, if you will, is very defining. One of the words for mercy in the Hebrew is rakem, which means womb. And when you think of the church being, are we a womb to the safest place, the warmest place, a place where you get nutrition to a broken world? And obviously to female listeners who've been pregnant, uh, if you have a baby, you shape the baby in the womb, but the baby also shapes you. And to me, that's one of the most profound things about mercy is that as Christians, we want to be more like Jesus. That's what we're called to be. And I think that in our relationships with people, as we have this engaged heart with others, as we, as we lean into relationships with other people, to realize that this is going to change their life and it's going to change our life. Uh, we had a woman stay in our basement for three years. She, she counseled um, women considering getting abortions. And while she lived with us, three, or I'm sorry, 1,000 women turned around from having abortions in a three-year period. And we were a womb to her, but she was a womb to 1,000 women. And she leaves our home, writes us a letter, and Carmen and I open it up, and there's all these little pictures of babies that mm. just come out of it. And I think we, we have an, God gives us an adventure. He puts people around us. He puts people around us in need. And I think if you just basically look at Jesus, that everywhere he went, he taught and he healed. He embraced truth and he embraced mercy. And I think it's, it's a lie of the devil to say, don't get involved, don't lean in, and don't care. So, Jack, I'm, uh, I'm reminded of, uh, of a story I heard once where an empty room in the home um, – I, I can't remember all the, the details of this conversation now, but um, essentially the empty room of your home is what we were challenged to consider. Consider that you, you probably have an em- empty room in your home and, and then um, likening that unto a womb that was pregnant with possibility and whether or not you were going to use that, that empty room as a resource that God had placed within your control, within your home, um, if you were going to use that as a resource where a person might actually be reborn to a living hope. And I think that's what you're talking about. I think you're talking about seeing what is within our reach and using those things, leveraging leveraging all that we have uh, and all that we are to the glory of God and doing so in ways that are merciful and show mercy and multiply mercy in a world that's just really unmerciful. One of these young men who, uh, whose father committed suicide, he lived with us for three summers down in that room. Uh, my wife and I have had people live there for 13 years, and it's it's just replete with stories of God. And that's that's a simple thing. Another widow for 14 years, she came over our house on uh, on Friday nights, and we if she needed a car, I'd go out and help her negotiate. And when we weave our lives with other people's lives, it it gives us a richer life. And I think Satan wants to tell us if we do that, it makes it's a hassle. It makes our life more complicated and we shouldn't do it. Rosaria Butterfield's book, um, The Gospel Comes with a House Key, it comes to mind here. I think that this, uh, the spirit of the God impulse, the power of mercy in an unmerciful world, which is your book, I, I do feel like God is uh, is tilling the soil on this subject in our generation. I think that... Um, I think there's a, a desire in the hearts of people 
to be people of mercy. Talk about our resistance to that, though, because I think that, um, you know, sort of our our self-love or our our sort of isolated culture tends to work against this idea of becoming a person who lavishly shows mercy to other people. Yeah, I think I think Carmen, this is really a big point. And for for the listeners here, uh, when you think about God, what's the first thing you think about? And that's why I entitled the book "The God Impulse," because in Ephesians two, when it says, "You know, God looked from the riches of His mercy, He made us alive in Christ." The God, the Father's heart is mercy. He's merciful for you. And I think in a truth-oriented church sometimes, truth leads to judgment. And if I feel like God's looking first at me, at all the things that I do wrong, and it's judgmental towards me, that's going to have a ripple effect to how I look at other people. So I think getting our minds and our hearts around that God, if he's looking at Carmen right now, he's looking at you with a heart of mercy. I think it's such a huge concept. And I think that conservative evangelical churches really miss it for that reason. Well, and, and Jack, I mean, just when you say that, right, when you when you speak those words over me, I'm I feel the grace and it's it, it I can feel the grace washing over me when I consider that God looks upon me with mercy. Thank God. Thank God he does, because I couldn't I'd wither. I would just utterly wither if anything other than that were uh, were the truth. Let me invite well, our list- things that you're struggling with right now. To realize that God knows your story. God knows why you're struggling with them. God is there to walk with you, and he will keep you from falling. And if you fall down, he'll pick you up and keep you from falling the next time. And so I think it's so redemptive, but it really gets down to our relationship with God and how we view him. And I would encourage people like I did to do a study of mercy and to see it's it's replete and these 20% 20% of pastors who went to seminary remember getting any training in mercy. So we're, they're cranking out preaching machines, which is great. I love the Word of God. We live by the Word of God. God reveals himself by the Word of God. But the heart is revealed through his mercy. Jack Alexander, thank you so much. The book is The God Impulse, The Power of Mercy in an Unmerciful World. Go out there and multiply mercy today. So mercy, so peace and see what God does with all of that. We'll be right back. Okay, so yesterday, um, one of the things that we talked about kind of spontaneously was becoming litter lifters, like, right, getting out there and picking up little pieces of trash that other people uh, discard on the ground. And and every time you pick up a little piece of trash, you're, you're actually picking up a little piece of Satan that is seeking to... You know, Satan wants to just trash God's good creation and trash us as a part of it. And um, So you're picking up a little piece of Satan and you're literally throwing it away. Like, you're throwing Satan away. I love that. Well, it inspired one of our listeners to communicate back with us. So, Paul, can yes. you read this little brief testimony? Okay, Karen's a friend of mine from church, but she also works at uh, Minneapolis-St. Paul International Airport. She says, now working in customs area for international rivals with lots of international germs. But... I put on gloves between flights, cheerfully prayed, and sang my way through little uh, litter-lifting exercises as described by Carmen. 
<laughs> litter lifting. Get out there today. Show mercy and be a litter lifter. That's all we got time for today. Have a great day and God bless. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.